Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your latest edition of MedMen Weekly. My name is Dan Club. I'm here to guide you through all the best bits from MedMenPlus.com this week. And we begin with a clip from our final word show where Steve, James Cranford, and Lewis chatted about Liverpool's return to winning ways at Burnley. He dropped Alexis McAllister. It felt like about well, five yards deeper. It felt yeah. like at times he was getting closer because everyone's been screaming out for McAllister to play. His end away and McAllister has eight. Yeah. In that first half, he couldn't get the ball. No. Like he had fewer touches than anyone, pretty much. Like he couldn't get on the ball. And it was like, that's a problem. Like, I get it because you want to be more defensively solid sometimes. And that's why Endo makes sense. And obviously, in a world where there's injuries and, and suspensions and illnesses, you've got to do what you've got to do. But. It felt like, and, and Endo had a really good second half. Really. He, thought yeah, he, was, yeah, yeah. He, he struggled first half, but he had a good second half. Hmm. It's one, it's a catch-22 really with McAllister because yes, you do want him close to the goal, maybe he isn't as good defensively, but also he just couldn't get on the ball. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, again, I think the half worked out between themselves, obviously whatever, tactician, just, just dropped him back a little bit deeper. He did get on the ball more. He offered Endo a bit more protection, a little bit more help, and Endo looked better for it. Just a little tactical tweak there, but it is a, it's a that is the... Although the downside of everyone just put McAllister as an eight. Yeah. You do lose him a little bit from the game. Every time I've seen him further forward, I mean, it's not been that many. There's been a couple of Europa League games and I've been really like, here we go. We're going to see. Going to be shots flying in. He's going to be sl- slipping balls. He's quite anonymous, and which I feel... I feel quite bad because I'm, I'm definitely coming round to the... His position is six thing now. Mm. Um because I think but I, he's had six months now where he's he's learned you know he's learned his role in the team he's I mean he, he was fantastic against Chelsea the other week I I, I um I really liked his physical side against Chelsea as well as the as well as all the stuff going forward mm. so yeah I think it, I think it is a bit of a shame but then if we've got this if we've got this kind of rotating cast of midfielders I trust the manager to get a tune out of whichever three are on the pitch in whichever four and, and and he's he's been so good with his substitutions this year or even just his tactical switches, he'll bring a sub on and then he'll drop someone back deeper or right, you go to the right wing and you come inside he changes like two or three pieces on the chessboard, if you like, with with one substitution or something like that. So although I think he did look much better second half. Um, although he wasn't at his best in that eight role, he's still a very important player for us and I still trust the manager to get the best out of him between now and the end of the season. Now we've got all the midfielders back apart yeah. from apart from Sobersly. 
I think he can just judge it on, on the day. Like, oh, this needs a bit of this, right? You come off, you come on. This needs a bit of this. What you know, whatever the situation needs, um, Klopp will react to it. Yeah, I suppose it's weird because in the Arsenal game, I was just looking at the stats before. He had he had what forty three touches in the first half in the in the first half against Burnley Lewis. He has twenty seven. And it's almost like they, and again, it's circumstance dictates. Endo wasn't available. Now he is, and there's illnesses, and there's superstars out, etc., etc., etc. It almost feels like they should be flip reversed. Mm. You probably, he's probably better as an eight against Arsenal, where someone like an Endo can offer you a bit more defensive, whatever. Although McAllister's been good, yeah. like, yet against Burnley, do you need a proper number six, or can you go with McAllister? Because I'm with Jamie. I've always been fascinated. I wonder what the balance in this midfield would look yeah. like with him up there. But the more I've seen of McAllister, I, I agree. I think he's. He's brilliant on the ball, and he's going to be on the ball more as a six. It, yeah. it's, it's it's strange really because we all, you know, he would have been playing eight from the start of the season if Liverpool would have got you know Casado or they got Lavia in. They yeah. were going to be in Liverpool's number six. They couldn't get him. Turns out this guy's now in him and Endo have, have kind of job shared a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it's a it is a fascinating one. The balance between those two can they both play together? If they do, does it have to be more like the second half where they're closer together? Mm. Because if if McAllister is one of your better players, who you want on the ball more often, putting him in that number eight role, you're not going to get that from him. No, he's. I think McAllister's better when he can sort of he dictates the tempo of the game. Okay. He's not. He's not the most. Yep. He's not the quickest player. He's not the most mobile. He's not like your Sobersly or your Gravenberg, mm. who's just going to run and run and run. He prefers it when he can decide when when the game gets played. He likes when he can take his time and decide when we get forward. He's a he's a deep line playmaker to put it in the simplest way. Endo Endo would be better against say like an Arsenal. I think where we're probably going to be under the cosh a bit more. We're going to get attacked. McAllister is better in the number six knees where no one's really pressing him because everyone's a bit not Burnley for example like, but just a team who's a bit more hesitant to get at us and maybe just press our players because they don't want to leave space behind it is a difficult one and it, it's a good problem to have in the sense of we've got so many midfielders who can do so many different roles and I think the Endo McAllister one could bear fruit in some way we could be it'd be a bit more defensively like we'd be better defensively but as long as well as that creativity and you've got Trent also coming in like a double pivot there and then McAllister can maybe move a bit forward or even Trent could so the options are there I still don't know what the best place for McAllister is I think number six has been his best so far but going forward I'm expecting to see a lot less of him in that role because like I said we've got Endo back I feel like the CDM talk hasn't died down that'll be something we're probably going to look at in the summer with a new manager coming in Whoever comes in, I feel like McAllister's probably going to get moved a little bit further forward because he's still not seen as that defence-minded number six out and out. I wonder if he'd be better when we used to have the best midfield in the world. I don't know why I'm doing that. It was fucking brilliant, <laughs> actually. Mascherano was the deepest. He was the terrier. Alonso was slightly ahead of him and Gerrard was almost like a 10 in those days. Would... Uh, McAllister be best in that kind of Alonso role where mm-hmm. it's like you're the, the primary defensive responsibility is not on you it's on this fella who snuffs all the chances out you start these moves you you know but also get stuck in you, you know you're not you're not like some fancy down number 10 who never puts a tackle in. Yeah. I wonder if he'd be better in that. So it's like not quite a six, like a six, but slightly further like Madrid, forward. Like Madrid with Cruz and Casemiro. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, not a six or an eight, like a seven. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. somewhere the, in between. The, the problem you but get not there, a seven. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a seven. The, the problem you get, I suppose, on that though, Jay, is 
the number eights are so vital to the press. Yeah, like you lose. It, 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 it just it's wouldn't play that, would he? And it's, like it's a difficult one because it's worth mentioning. We, I mean, we, like, and I thought what were your thoughts like second half. He he was really good. Yeah, like, not just without the ball, with the ball. Those little flicks around the corners. Mm. He's he's half battle of the ball back that gets leads to Diaz's goal. You yes, know? as yeah. well. McAllister maybe maybe doesn't foul it. I'm not given, of course. And then it's Endo who presses the mistake into obviously leads to it leads to the goal. So like. It, this isn't a knock on end though it's more a case of like getting the best out of your World Cup winning centre midfielder he was the, the he was the primary target in the summer the, the second the window ended it was Alexis yeah. pushing the button on Alexis McAllister yeah. they wanted him for a, for a reason he was the man it looks like they wanted him to get him advanced so they might have to stick with that but is, is the world do you think where they, they can, can do what he did the other day does it because and I said, End, Endo's done nothing wrong. He's, he's, he's Liverpool's yeah. best player in December, yeah. and now he's come back and he's had another strong showing off the back of, like, by all accounts, an up and down uh, Asia Cup. So, yeah, and, but, but Endo, like I say, he, he, he's doing himself no harm. He's deserving to play as well. I just wonder if, like you were saying, now Endo's back, is he going to keep that role? It's a really difficult one because when he came back yesterday, I was thinking, oh, he's not quite at it where he was before he left, but he was much better in the second half. Me and Dan were saying, and even with the yellow cards, normally when he gets a yellow, you're like, oh, hang on, he's, he could be mm. getting... But I didn't, there wasn't any... Clever one, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't any of that. I just think if we're playing... Champions League final tomorrow and everyone's fifth he plays McAllister in the sixth I think and, and Sobber Sly and Jones I think that would be the three yep. um, maybe over the next you know if, if Endo can get back to where he was and he puts another four or five games in of, of those kind of standards where he's like eight nine out of ten every week maybe that changes to Endo's undroppable and then the other two, it's between, but then you think Jones is pretty undroppable. And yeah. um, size I don't know. Like it's, it's hard. Good. It's good. It's good though, isn't it? Because like you know, and then you've got our man Harvey Elliott, who yeah. I'm not even mentioned in that conversation. Yeah. You've just got quality everywhere. So yeah. as, as long as we can just pick pick the right tool for the right game, but there'll be some where you know you you don't need that defensive solidity of Endo, or you don't need this, you don't need this. I'm you know. Just, any any of the three at the moment should be good enough to beat most teams. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how you can get on with the number six. Who's the best number six? We'll find out. Incredible stuff there from the lads. And yeah, absolutely massively imperative that Liverpool did pick up a crucial three points at Anfield. Yeah, just getting back on the horse and putting that defeat at Arsenal behind us. Nice and easy. Well done. Next, we move to our conversation with Neil Jones. As ever, our Journey Insight show this week was an absolute belter. And Neil was talking to Steve about Thiago's latest injury setback and the possibility of him making a return for Liverpool Football Club this season. Let's talk about Thiago then, obviously. Yeah. Um, he suffered a muscle issue after he came on for like nine minutes, I think, in total against, yeah. against the Arsenal. Most of it was playing a centre-back as well. Um, yeah, like I said, we don't, have, we don't know the extent of the injury. We're going to have to wait, but it's not cool. He, after, he expects him to play again this season, but we didn't really think about that. It's not a big, big injury. Now, yeah. Liverpool can't miss Thiago, Neil, because you haven't had him. So you can't miss something that you haven't had. But there was a thought of, oh, just imagine if you can sprinkle Thiago into this team, you know, on the on the route towards finals. Even yeah. that's 10 minutes of a game. Can you, do you need to win the game? Can you bring him on? Or do you need to control the game and see it out? He could be perfect. And unfortunately, it, 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 it's gone again. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just... I know there's a lot of people piling on Thiago yeah, and Thiago because it's not his fault. Like, he can't help getting injured. It's really, it's, it is such a shame. 
But but yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a real cruel broker. He's worked so hard to get himself back fit, get back ready, and and then within nine minutes, it, it's gone again. It feels like. Yeah, it's just such, such a shame, really. Yeah, I, I, that was exactly the point I was going to make, really, is this kind of... I know, I understand it in a sort of, you know, a sense that people just get frustrated. Oh, I, I've had it with them. You know, that's it. You know, give up with them. People used to be a bit like that with Daniel Sturridge, didn't he? He was like, oh, I'm sick of it. Or Cater. <sighs> Never available. But for me, it's just a... You know, if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck at all, would he? It feels like with, with, at Liverpool anyway, or over the last couple of years, <sighs> hamstring injury. I, I I was told it is quite a bad one. Um, you know, certainly not a, a week or, or two week effort. I was told it was a a pull tear of, of, of some description, which does <laughs> put into doubt sort of, you know, especially when Liverpool are potentially going to be Every game is going to be mega intense in the in the last last month of the season. Can you what games can you drop a, a Thiago in and, and say go ahead, get yourself some rhythm for twenty minutes or forty five minutes? Um, I think that's that's really concerning for for him. Uh, and and really frustrating for Liverpool because you know like you say that that was a, a lovely little bonus, really, wasn't it? You know, in amongst. I mean, I I didn't really put too many social media posts out after the Arsenal game because it wasn't didn't feel like there was much to sort of there was going to get much engagement but I, I think the last one I put out after it was it wasn't all bad news today you know Thiago was back <laughs> two days three days later it's actually yeah uh, wish he wasn't um, and I was told I mean you saw it on Liverpool put it out but I was told from people who were, who were there as well that he was you talking about looking sharp you know and looking like sort of ready to ready to sort of get stuck right back into it in training that was where he was at and now he's back to you know if not square one then not far away that's a, a real frustration for him and we could talk about his contract and his, his situation I mean I don't expect him to stay at Liverpool personally oh, I never did job. but I don't think it's. I don't think you can make a case for no. him to stay even if he was to return sort of you know half decent before the end of the season I think you'd have to say look 32-33 the history of injuries he's, on, he's a big earner big, big earner and also he's I think he is someone that he changes the way you play as well, doesn't he? You know, like he's not. You can't just say we'll play another Thiago. You know, well, if, he, if Thiago doesn't play the Thiago role, someone else will. You can't. He's a very specific player. So, you know, I think I think it's just difficult to say that Liverpool could go any further with it than this, and it's a real shame, you know, because at his best, I mean, one of the best performances I've ever seen covering Liverpool was Thiago against Manchester United yeah. um, at Anfield I mean he wasn't far away in that semi-final against City he at Wembley he was around, around the same period that wasn't it but he was like in that in that quadruple chasing season a couple of se- years ago that second half of the season that Thiago put together was outstanding and if you remember I mean remember the build up to Paris all of the, the build up really was is he going to be fit? Is he going to be fit? And what Liverpool went through on the day where he, I think he had numbness in his foot and, you know, obviously what had happened with the fans meant there was a delay to the kickoff, and Liverpool sort of give him extra chance to be fit. He was that important to Liverpool at that point where it was like, well, you know, if we, if we can, if we have to wait 10 minutes before we sort of confirm it, we will. That was how important he is and it's just a shame to see him now where he's almost like a, you know, People have just lost patience with him, I suppose, haven't they? And or lost lost the love the love of him a little bit, and it's it's a real shame because it's like you say, it's not his fault. He, I'm 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 pretty certain from speaking to people who've who've worked with Thiago, who've who been involved in the signing, who were you know around that 
he's a model professional you know he's not someone who's going to come in and go have you not been doing your rehab no I forgot you know he, he is that kind of he will do everything to, to make sure he's, he's fit and to pick up a muscle injury like that after 10 months on the sidelines with another one he's just yeah sad for him and sad for Liverpool absolutely it, it can happen though unfortunately when you're out for so long and he's had hip issues and stuff and it's all it's all it's, 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 it's all in, yeah. it's all connected really isn't it literally and it, it, I mean I, you know, the, I, I think what maybe would make Klopp's mood a little bit more downbeat is he didn't need to come on you know it, to, he didn't he's not done it in a Liverpool losing that game and I suppose the, the red card after kills it doesn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, if, yeah. If, if, if it's if you've got 10 minutes of Thiago and it's 2-1 yeah. and Arsenal have parked the bus then that's perfect for him he ends up playing centre half legging it round the pitch because yeah. his mate's been sent off and yeah you're right the, the circumstances a minute after he comes on dictate that it, that it was a, it was a if he comes back in a cup game and you're like wow we had 45 minutes of Thiago there just running the show he, he probably had about five touches of, in, of the ball you know like, it's like six minutes you know like and that's cost that's cost him potentially you know weeks months whatever maybe maybe you know the last we see of him you know, I hope not but there, I think there has to be a chance yeah. it just feels like oh god like what a what a what a full stop to a rubbish afternoon you know to, to, we, we didn't just have a man sent off we didn't just get beat we didn't just play rubbish we actually lost a player that you know we could have left on the bench really and just sort of saw the game out and, and got and the same outcome you know there, there would have been no difference whether we'd either brought on James McConnell or Thiago in that game Um so yeah I think that will I think Klopp will just be one of like that, that was yeah that'll be a mood that was just it's killed him off a bit absolutely and I say yeah I know Jürgen said, you know, they don't think it's that bad. I know you said there, you, you heard differently in the reports where it wasn't great. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, I know bad, you're, bad, bad. said bad, bad, or big, big, didn't he? said, which, you know, could be, any, that could be anything. I, I was told it's not insignificant, put it that way. It's not, it's not a sort of a, oh, he just had a little bit of cramp in his, in his hamstring or whatever. I think, I think it was definitely an injury as opposed to a, you know, he felt something. And even if you're out for a month now and you're into the end of March. And you've had 10 months out. And you've had anyway. 10, I mean, I, and I, we hope, we hope that at the end of the season, Liverpool are challenging and big games for big trophies and stuff. I think you do have to ask the question, Neil, is that him? Because even if he's fit and available, can you take a chance? Or, or, you know, it, it'd be difficult. Yeah, and, Again, does, I, and, and does he want to? Because I'm going to say that's the other he's, thing. He's got a future. I, I mean, not, that's not, you know, that's not sort of casting a space on his professionalism or anything like that. But I think Liverpool done that last year, really. Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain just ended up sort of Pushed aside. Lallana did Lallana it. Lallana done it. Yeah, I think Nathaniel Klein done it. Didn't he when he when he was injured, he no. came back? It was a little bit like well, you know, you, you, especially at his age, you know, thirty two, thirty three. You don't want to be Joel Matip's in a position, isn't he, where he's out of contract and and, and recovering from a massive injury. Yeah. There will be that consideration definitely. And if, if Liverpool have players available around that period where they've got Sobersline, they've got Elliot, and they've got um, Endo, and McAllister, and Curtis and Gravenberg, it does. It does feed a little bit in. I think to, you know, we have to we have to do right by him as well. You know, if we're not going to offer him a new contract, but I, I think think look, fingers crossed. The best case scenario, I think, is fingers crossed. It's it's a, it's a couple of weeks, and and he just costs him a bit of training or whatever. But I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think it's worse than that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is such a shame, really, for him to got because like people do talk about Thiago and injuries. This is the first season, really. He's played like thirty odd games in most of the seasons he's had. This year has been the one where it's, it's obviously gone horribly, horribly wrong. And it's weird because if he had been fit and available, listen, it, it's it's sliding doors moments. Can he play the way Liverpool are playing at the moment? Is the other question you have to ask because for a fella to come back, Neil, off ten months off 
and yeah. then another couple of months off, and then say to him, right, you're playing as an advanced number eight, and your job is to leg it round, and and mm-hmm. do the, which of what Liverpool's number eight are expected to lead the press and all that kind of stuff. That feels hard. Do you want him as a six, possibly? But then also there's other options available to him. It almost feels like even if he is fit and available, the role he would have would be what he had the other day. It was like, you can have 10 minutes where we need you in, in a different type of game yeah. because it is difficult for him to now, especially on the back of two injuries, say, right, you're going to just slot into this team because technically he probably still is the best of them. But technically and, and in reality are two different things now. Yeah, possibly. And I think maybe the way the league's gone a, a little bit where maybe two years ago, Liverpool had a lot more teams that would sit in and... Even the PFA team of the year, wasn't it? You know, not, 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 not look to attack almost beyond a couple of little forays, but it feels like every team's got flyers out wide and and, and sort of you know a plan to We're attack Liverpool and, and do that. And that, that requires, like you say, legs. Trent moving into midfield means you have to have that natural sort of move across and cover spaces. So yeah, I, you know, the team has evolved certainly in the in his absence, hasn't it? And um, you know, I felt. Not dissimilar to Oxley Chamberlain, probably in, in a way. When he when he picked up that big injury against Roma, you know, it felt like when he came back, Liverpool had moved away from sort of they didn't really need what he was bringing yeah. a little, or they needed it a little bit less, you know. And he became more of a well, actually, you could be a little bit of a change in change in tone off the bench. Um, possibly that that there is that, but you know, he's got to be he's got to be fit, and you know, after ten months out, and I know I'm saying he was sharp in training, and Jürgen said the same, didn't he? I think he said, "Woof." Well, he said we saw him on LFC TV. How good he looked as well. Yeah. <laughs> he referenced that. How yeah. good the videos looked as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were good finishes, to be fair. They were very good. Um, but yeah, you know, you're saying that, but coming back into the Premier League, you know, you you've got to expect that it's going to take a few few games, maybe weeks, maybe even a month or two, before you you're back up to sort of a level where you're like, right, I'm this. I know what I'm doing. Every sort of minute of every every minute of every game. Um. Yeah, it feels it feels unlikely that we're going to see him in a major role between now and the end of the season. A minor one would be a bonus. Absolutely, yeah. So obviously we're keeping eyes on the Thiago stuff, but it looks like Liverpool are going to be out him for a while. Wonderful as ever from Neil. Now, one of my shows next, we've got a few of mine coming up, to be honest with you. Um, I spoke to Dougie Critchley from Sky Sports News fame about Liverpool's potential sporting directors and who they could be turning to. And in particular, we touched on the West Ham chief, Tim Stighton. Somebody who isn't unemployed, but seems to be... From the noise, it seems to be the leading contender amongst all of this is Tim Stiden, um currently employed at West Ham, of course, having left by Leverkusen for that role, not to, not even 12 months ago, I don't think. Um, hired Zabi Alonso by Leverkusen. There's one interesting angle amongst all of this. Some good signings, decent track record as well. What do you make of the links to him? And I guess what do you make of his um, his job, essentially, so far? Yeah, very, very exciting to be honest. I think he's done I think he's done an excellent job at West Ham. It is a shame that they only hired him. I think it was halfway through the transfer window in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was loads of reports that him and Moyes weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye in terms of their transfer targets. But it looks like from the squad that they built that he really got his way. They were quite unmoised players, lots of the players that they signed, not necessarily purely based on sort of physical counter-attacking football. You know, Ahmed Kudus is an excellent creative presence. Edson Alvarez uh, was, you know, highly thought of for, for years now. Um, and, you know, James Ward-Price, actually Ward-Price is more so in a Moyes mould uh, with that set-piece sort of ability. Um, but yeah, as I say, was linked with, you know, Liverpool last year, um, mm-hmm. but ended up at West Ham 
And he'd been in charge of Bayer Leverkusen's recruitment strategy for a number of years and had excelled in Germany before that at Werder Bremen as well. He was the guy that gave Serge Gnabry another chance, having had a difficult spell at Arsenal. He was the guy that gave Kevin De Bruyne a chance at Werder Bremen on loan after a difficult spell at Chelsea. In terms of his work at Bayer Leverkusen, Moussa Diaby arrived on his on his watch, Jeremy Frimpong, Florian Verts, he managed to pilfer from Cologne just down the road as well from Cologne's academy. And West Ham's recruitment in the years leaving, leading up to his arrival had been a bit of a mess. Like they missed out on a number of players the summer before he arrived, including Zielinski, um, Amadou Onana, who's at Everton now, Mateus Nunes, who's now at Man City. But it felt like this summer they had the Declan Rice money and he had huge pressure on him. I think when you sell probably the best player in your modern history, you know, there was the potential for West Ham to really regress. And they spent a lot of last year, people forget, a lot of last year battling relegation. And, you know, the success in the Conference League sort of covered up really what was quite a difficult, you know, league campaign. So there was huge pressure there. And I just think they've done really, really well this year. Um, they're now seventh as we record this. They're 10 points off the top four. They've won five of their six Europa League games. They're into the knockouts. This time last year, they were 17th. They were two points clear of relegation. And those new players that I mentioned, particularly Ward Price, particularly Kudus, have had a massive, massive impact. Um, and yeah, like all these technical directors or sporting directors were talking about where he's known as like a meticulous, meticulous and very like sophisticated operator, leaving no stone unturned whatsoever. And yeah, some of the players that he signed at Bayer Leverkusen, even, I mean, mentioned some of the bigger ones, but he signed from really interesting places as well. You know, uh, Vittorio Di Guimaraes, the Portuguese side, he signed Edmund Tapsoba, who was linked with Spurs in the summer. Ezequiel Palacios signed from River Plate after a handful of games. Uh, Piero Hincape from Ecuador, Independiente de, de la Valle. So he's not afraid to look further afield for, for top signings. I like the fact that if you're bringing in Xabi Alonso, which I think is Liverpool's first choice and probably the, the, the managerial appointment that makes most sense at the moment, then it's nice to have someone who's worked with him before um, and you know gave him his chance at Leverkusen, his first senior management role. That seems like the dream, the dream setup. But having said that, I don't know how difficult or easy it's going to be to get him out of his West Ham contract. If you can't get Stuyton, I think Paul Mitchell's the obvious choice. And there's also an element of, you know, a, a, a previous established relationship, I think, is really positive. But at the same time, you kind of need your technical director not to be tied too heavily to the manager, because in many ways, you want your your recruitment strategy not to be tied to one manager. You know, you've seen at United over the last 18 months, two years, how many Eric Ten Hag signings have come in. And it's clear that they've got no structure around him. And some of the players have been a success, like Lissandro Martinez, but some of the others, like Anthony, they just haven't they haven't hit the ground running whatsoever, um, to say the least. And Liverpool have, you know, operating in a completely different sphere to Man United, you know, in terms of recruitment. They are so much smarter. But at the same time, I don't think it's a disaster to not get the sporting director that's worked with the manager before. But having said that, I think he would be my first choice. Having, you know, after that, Paul Mitchell. Interesting. Okay, yeah, and I think you're right, by the way, that having that balance between a good working relationship and not necessarily being too closely tied together is absolutely imperative, and FSG will have to manoeuvre the way around that carefully. And I was going to ask you for your actual choice, but before I do that, and before we get sort of the definitive answer on that, any other names you think that we haven't mentioned? I've seen the likes of Marco Nepp left by Munich recently. Uh, Marcus Kroosh is a name that's called before. Before we appointed Jörg Schmadke, I did a couple of uh, conversations with some people in Germany about him. He's very happy highly regarded. Christoph Freund is a mention, I, uh, name I see mentioned this morning as well. Is anybody else you'd add to that list? 
Yeah, Christoph Freund is very tied to the RB Leipzig or the Red Bull model, uh, the Red Bull clubs. That's that's a potentially interesting one. I think the the probably the outstanding candidate in in England is probably Dan Ashworth um, at Newcastle as well. I know that the Newcastle project, you know. They're having some difficulties in terms of balancing against the Premier League's PSR rules. But Dan Ashworth, his work at West Brom, his work at the you know at England with the FA in terms of building a culture there and putting the right things in place, and his work at Newcastle, you know, I think you know, yes, he has got a lot of money behind him. But the the sort of players that they targeted and the players they managed to land, you know, the Alexander Isaks, the Bruno Guimaraes, the Sven Botmans, you know, these are really exciting young players that Liverpool should be looking to, to sign as well because, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, as a club like Liverpool, I think you can throw your hat and you can definitely sign players that are wanted by other top clubs. There's no doubt about that. But I think Liverpool's real strength in the Klopp era was actually kind of creating superstars, you know, Sadio Mane was a big name before he arrived at Liverpool, but went on to superstar status. Same with Andy Robertson, you know, Jeannie Wijnaldum, for example. Like these are players that were, were ready to take the next step. And I think Liverpool have, a, have an ability to really develop and nurture talent. Um, and I think Dan Ashworth would be crucial at sort of pinpointing the best, best players in England and also the best young players from abroad. So he's definitely one I'd consider. Okay, interesting. Yeah, any thoughts on um, Richard Hughes then in that case? Because he's another name at Bournemouth at the moment. Seems to be doing a decent job down there. He's been linked a couple of times. Would he fit into a similar sort of category in terms of that? Yeah, maybe. I do think it's slightly different buying for Bournemouth than than Liverpool. You know, having not had experience at a, at a really top club, but then at the same time, you know, it's worth it's worth keeping these guys in the hat. I think some of the the Bournemouth signings in the last two three years have been really really impressive. You know, Justin Clivert has made a big difference to them. They've kind of restructured their side this year around Ryan Christie playing in midfield. I think that's gone down really well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the football that Andonia Iraola wants to play isn't totally dissimilar from, from a Klopp style. It's very based around high pressing. Obviously, they have a lot less possession than Liverpool and it's probably not as multifaceted in, in the way it can control games as well. Um, so that's definitely someone to consider. But I think I still think Dan Ashworth is probably the Premier League best pick. Okay, interesting then. Just finally then, on best picks, we mentioned just how big a job it is. Like Liverpool have been taken onto a new stratosphere essentially by Jurgen Klopp with some help along the way from Michael Edwards, Julian Ward, Jörg Schmadke more recently. It's a job of immense magnitude. There's going to be a big to-do list whoever does walk into the role at Anfield. But you mentioned it a moment ago. Would your pick out of all these names, would it be Tim Steiden? Yeah, I think so. I think it probably would be. He'd be the dream appointment. But I think Paul Mitchell is not far behind second. And the fact that he's out of work at the moment, it might just be easier easier to do. Um, and I, it is interesting with the sporting director at Liverpool, because obviously Michael Edwards was so long established and that system in place that he built, you know, carried you through what has been a, what's been a difficult period, really, in terms of sporting directors. I think whoever's appointment, appointed will be your fourth sporting director in two years. Mm-hmm. And given that, you know, everyone's brought something a bit different, to be fair. Even George Schmadka, like his links with the Bundesliga has, you know, got you that Sabosla ideal. It saved you out of a sticky hole when Caicedo and Lavia rejected Liverpool, which still seems like an absolutely bonkers decision by them. And you signed Wataro Endo. You know, everyone's brought something different, but you do want someone fixed in place for hopefully the next three to five years at least um, and carry through this new, new era. Um, so I think the fact that, if you're, if you're going for Xavi Alonso, I think it is helpful having Stuyton, who's already worked with him, 
Uh, and his work at his work at Bayer Leverkusen, his work at West Ham, he knows how to operate in the transfer market. Uh, he knows how to extract the most value out of deals as well. Like I don't think either of those clubs were known for overpaying for deals, uh, which Liverpool haven't been known for either. Uh, although if that Caicedo deal had gone through, perhaps you would have. Um, although he potentially looked like a completely different player in that Liverpool eleven, anyway. Yeah. Um, but Stuyton, I think, is that is probably the outstanding candidate. It'll just be interesting to see whether you can get him off West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the big factor in amongst all of this, isn't it? And yeah, how how difficult or easy may that be? Um, Dougie, absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so, so much for your expertise. It's been, honestly, it's been an amazing listen. I've learned a lot. Hopefully everybody else has as well. Um, before I let you go, um, socials, where, we, where can we find your work and all that stuff, mate? Perfect. Well, thanks so much for having me on the festival, Dan. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, you can find me on Football Daily. You can find me on Sky Sports News as well. But socials, it's just at Doogie Critchley uh, for Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. Top man. Thank you so much once again. Absolute pleasure. Everybody else, I'll see you all again very soon. Take it easy. Yeah, thanks once again to Dougie for that. It really was a pleasure to speak to him. He knew everything there was to know about sporting directors across the face of Europe, to be honest. So if you want to check that out, make sure you head to redmenplus.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Next up, I also spoke to Aaron Barton, Portuguese football expert, a regular on Red Men. I'm sure you'll have heard his voice before. And we spoke about Ruben Amarim, who is the other contender to become Liverpool manager alongside Xabi Alonso, because all the talk has been about Alonso. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about the sporting boss also linked with the Reds. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV and your latest edition of Expert Insight. My name is Dan Club. I'm delighted to say we are talking matters Portugal, which means only one thing. I'm joined by the brilliant Aaron Barton as ever. Aaron, how are you doing, mate? You okay? All good, thanks, mate. Good to be back. No, our pleasure. Yeah, it's not been that long. It's been about two weeks. Last time we were speaking, <laughs> we were speaking centre-halves. A um, little bit different this time. We're speaking managers. And it's actually a manager's name you mentioned quite a lot because obviously we spoke about two sporting centre-backs, um, Diamande and Inacio, of course. And you were sort of 
Rich in your praise of the job Ruben and Marine have been doing with the two of them. And we're back to speak yeah. about him because obviously we've all know Jurgen Klopp's on his way out to the Liverpool Football Club. The, the main candidate, I think it's fair to say, remains Abby Alonso. But every time his name gets mentioned, it's closely followed by watch out for Ruben Amarim as well. So we need to speak about him. We need to find a little bit more out about him because I think we're all pretty well versed on Xabi Alonso now, but not quite so much on Ruben Amarim. So that's where you come in. Let's start. 39 years old, appointed in 2020. Um, he's extended that contract of his until 2026, quite recently, I believe. Took over a sports inside that weren't achieving what they'd like to achieve, I think it's fair to say. As things stand, they are second on goal difference only behind Benfica. They have a game in hand over Benfica. So I guess he's done a pretty good job. Let's start with a broad sort of statement on him. Just how exceptional has he been since he took over there? Unbelievable, to be honest. I think doesn't get as much sort of sort of praise. I think that partly comes down to the fact that when people speak or when people think about Portuguese football, they think of Porto, Benfica, and then obviously Sporting as like what the three big clubs like they sort of take it in turns of winning the title. But the reality is that it was just a it was a top two before Amarim came in. Sporting obviously were were very good in the early two thousands, but they hadn't won a league title for nineteen years. When sort of when he came to the Alvalade, and I don't think you can really underestimate just how much of a good job he's actually done. For my money, they'll win the title again this season. They're the the best team in Portugal this season for me. Uh, obviously, we'll see sort of how how it pans out, but he's just taken them. I think from from strength to strength, he 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 was. I think a lot of people knew in Portugal that he was going to be a, a, a top manager just from the, the few weeks, couple of months with Braga. He went mm-hmm. in at Braga and and um, put the stamp on the team straight away, he was winning games, was winning big games as well. And uh, and then obviously, you know, Sporting paid that, that whopping, I think, 15 million euros, which was the second or third highest release clause ever paid for a manager. So for a Portuguese club to part ways with money, that much money, I think, was a big indication of, you know, they 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 hardly at that point ever spent that much on a player. So to sort of go all out for a manager, they believed they had someone who could who could transform them and and sort of deliver them the title, but also bring them to just back to the top of the league, whether it be finishing first or second, because they had too many seasons where they, you know, they they were just not in the title race at all. To be honest, finishing third and fourth, and they see themselves as one of the big three that should be. They're competing, and he's—I mean—he's made them that. I think you know, won the title in his first season, finished second in his second season, got to the round of sixteen in the Champions League, which they hadn't done for God knows how many years. Mm. Um, last season was was a mixed season. They finished fourth, but look at the players that he's lost. I mean, you've only got to look across Europe. How many big teams have got players? in the team that have came from that sort of sporting side, whether it's the likes of Pedro Porro, Joel Polina, Mateus Nunes, now at City, Nuno Mendes, Manuel Ugarte, who's now at PSG. Yeah. They were all sort of part of this, this Ruben Amarim team that he, you know, sort of got into the first team. It was a very youthful. And the team has just been decimated over the last couple of years, yet he just keeps getting results with different parts, bringing in different players. And, and I think this season... Uh, I mean, it, it helps when you've got someone like Victor Jocheres up front. But yeah. yeah, he's top. Honestly, top, top, top manager, as you can probably tell from me. Me five minutes non-stop waxing lyrical about him. 
Yeah, absolutely. A glowing praise indeed. But you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, the one, the transfers they pulled off there. But quite a, not a strange transfer, that's too far. But, you know, unearthing a player from Coventry, who's clearly a very good player, but signing the player from the Championship is an interesting route to go down, of course. Mm. But you, you've obviously, like I say, you've praised him sort of profusely there. But I guess the next most simple question is, how? How has he gone about doing all this? How has he transformed them back into a team that has won the title, could win the title again? Like, is it as simple as, you know, operating? in the transfer market is it a certain style of play what's he done if you can put your finger on it how has he managed to turn them into what they are now well I think it, it's it sounds basic but I just think having a system and having a set way of playing finding players that are suitable for sort of for that system it, because when you look at before he was appointed uh, at Sporting they've had good managers in the past. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They they just sort of before him, they've had the likes of George Jesus, Marco Silva, who's now with Fulham. Managers who were good, you know, good managers and the, the list sort of goes on. I mean, it was, as I say, it was a 19-year gap. There was lots of different faces in there. But I think with him, it's this sort of, because it is the system that he brought in, that's the sort of the three at the back, is, is basically the same as what he was playing at Braga. Mm-hmm. So at Braga, he came in straight away and was like, we're playing this way. That's clearly his sort of the way that he sees the game, the way that he sees games being won. Um and I think having the having the courage to to bring in a lot of the youngsters, the average age in his in the not the half season, but the half season as well, he was bringing them in from the sort of the under 23s. But that sort of first full season, the amount of players that he was just bringing in that like the likes of Thiago Tomas, I think was at the time was don't even know how old he was, and then you know the likes of Gonzalo Inacio has become this sort of huge figure in his team, and he, he was a kid when when he brought him through, and I think is that he was identifying these different players without having to go and spend massive money by thinking right, we've got him that might be playing with the under twenty three years or this player that's playing, you know here or whatever or players that were out on loan. Joel Polina was out on loan at Braga. And he wasn't a kid at the time. He was, I mean, he was probably like 22, 23 or something at the time, maybe. But I think he's just got a very good eye for players that will fit his system and he makes it work. And and I think as I spoke about um, Jokerez there, that's, that's like not just for them this season, but for the league, seeing a player like that, that's sort of come in and, and lit, lit the league up sort of immediately. It's been a while since... Since um since that happened, then I think they spent a bit of money. I mean, they, they broke the transfer record for him. It was a marquee signing, mm-hmm. which I think tells you the you know is an indication of the Portuguese league because as you say, it was the record signings a player from Coventry who ripped up the championship. But um yeah, it was a strange move I think for him. A lot of people were expecting him maybe to go to like a mid table Prem club, but yeah. I think he's he's probably trodden the right path there because whether it be the end of this season or or next season, he'll probably end up going on. To um to sort of a top 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 club, in my opinion. So yeah, I, I just think that he he's got a very clear idea of how he wants his teams to play. He's got a clear idea of what players work in that system and what players don't. He clearly works very closely with the um the sort of the youth team coaches to know <clears throat> are there any gaps that they can put uh, plug because you know players will get injured and he'll he'll bring in younger players who he thinks you know sort of sort of fit the role and. And um, as I say, he's just he's done remarkably well considering the amount of departures they've had. I mean, because 
it's just that it was a, when he first came in as well, especially there was a sporting squad that weren't good. Let's let's just let's just have it right. I did the his first half season, the top scorer that season was Bruno Fernandez. Bruno Fernandez left in the January. And he'd only scored about eight goals. And he he finished the season as the top scorer. He just they were bringing in players on loan who were like just not the type of players that you'd expect a young team to be bringing through. Like they had Hesse from Real Madrid. Yeah. They brought Yannick Balassi in on loan. Like these just the type of players where it's like the the top end, you know, he's sort of like you know, late twenties, early thirties. Amarine just came in and was like, right. This is what we're doing. I've got a vision for the club for the future. The top two above us, Benfica and Porto, can spend more money than we can. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to go about it sort of a different way. And and instilling confidence in, in the young players, I think, is massive. His man management is is apparently, you know, sort of remarkable. All the players believe him in what he says. He's very good. And this is something that I think Liverpool fans obviously if it, it you know it probably probably will be Xabi Alonso, but I mean if it was to be Amarim, he's amazing with the media. Amarim mm-hmm. in terms of always seems to say the right things in press conferences, even when he's in a mood, he'll sort of twist it into he'll have the players thinking like right, it's us versus them. Then yeah. he's got that. I think he's got that sort of he's got that edge about him. And you know there's 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 been quite a few sort of press conferences where you think yeah he's. He's hitting all the right notes with um you know, he's got character for a young for a young manager especially. Um so yeah, I think I think it's pretty it's hard to really boil down, you know, sort of how he's done it, but yeah. Yeah, incredible as always from Aaron. Really is a pleasure to speak to him as well. Top, top man and knows his stuff when it comes to Portugal. And finally, our latest episode of Expert Insight saw me speak to the brilliant Tony Hodgson about all the managers who were linked with Liverpool and just how tactically they could suit the Reds and what they might need to change and all that sort of stuff. Tony is very much an expert in this field because he works for the brilliant The Coach's Voice. So here's what he had to say. Well, that takes us nicely on to our last man, actually. Um, Jabby Alonso. Now, Valentine's has been and gone this week, but there is a man who might well be the perfect match for the Reds. He has been in the past, of course, the player, Jabby Alonso, currently ripping up trees by Leverkusen, as we're now very well aware. And Coach's voice once said he has shown a tactical awareness that have made Bayer a difficulty to play against, as well as efficient in their attacking play. Furthermore, he has marked himself out the coach whose approach merits close observation, and it's getting close observation right now I think it's fair to say in terms of formation he may also should have B's the 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3 which obviously is in keeping with what Liverpool do predominantly um, but he's also used a 3-4-3 which I think he's used quite a lot by Leverkusen as well but my sort of biggest thing obviously is the, the, the connection there's the bond there's the emotional side I'm trying to remove all that emotion if I possibly can certainly while I'm speaking to you but if in terms of his tactical astuteness, in terms of the actual coaching job he's doing, if we take away the fact he's a former Liverpool player and he's very well decorated and we love him, how impressive is it? It's unbelievably impressive. It's unbelievable. I mean, again, you know, to use a European phrase, Bayern are not in a good moment at the moment, uh, Bayern Munich, but um, and they haven't looked quite the strength of old. But where he's taken Leverkusen from to in such a short period of time, and that game last week, I mean, this chat comes at a good time because that game last weekend, that was 3-0 and that could have been anything. I mean, literally anything. It was just an absolute battering. And 
if you think about a coach and a team who are in new territory for them, breaking new ground. I mean, it's more than 20 years since Leverkusen were challenging at, at the top of the Bundesliga, really. And when they got to the Champions League final, around 20 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just, that was, a, that, was a, that was going to be a real test. And it felt like that was a test that they passed. I mean, flying colours doesn't even come close. It was just, they just batted it away. Now, of course, there's still a long way to go. Bayern won't go away. And there's always the, the possibility that if Liverpool chat intensifies, that pressure gets even even more unbearable than it, than it already will be. Um, but he doesn't strike me as a character. I mean, I've interviewed him a couple of times back in the day when he was a player at Liverpool. Just perfectly composed. Um, he's worked with, he's played for and worked with, you know, a who's who of the world's greatest coaches in the last generation and last one or two generations. And he also, he reminds me a lot of Guardiola and Arteta to a degree. You know, I look at these great players and I think that they were, they haven't just stopped playing and decided to be a coach. And this is where you start to think about people like, dare I say, Gerard, Lampard, Wayne Rooney, uh, English players, actually. <laughs> These these guys feel like they've been coaches for years. They they were coaches when they were players. They were thinking about the game in a way when they were playing that set them aside from other players then. And this is why I feel it sets them aside from other coaches now. Um, and if he, I mean, you know, there are things, you know, Liverpool don't play with a back three. Liverpool don't really progress the ball centrally as much as other teams. By Leverkusen definitely do. Alonso definitely prioritises those central areas. But as discussed earlier, Liverpool have midfielders now who it feels like feels like the midfielders Liverpool have now are more capable in that area than any that we've had in the Klopp era. You know, McAllister and Shobosai particularly. Um, Curtis Jones definitely. And Harvey Elliott, who doesn't get the credit he deserves this season. He's been absolutely brilliant um, whenever he's played. And yeah. I know Endo was a, you know, a kind of contingency signing. But again, and for the first few weeks, it looked to me like he was his touches were too heavy and he wanted too long on the ball, but he's adapted pretty well and has looked much better in recent times. But it feels like this squad is more set up to have Xavi Alonso manage it than Jürgen Klopp's previous squads. And this might just be me and you talking ourselves into the fact that he's going to be absolutely brilliant. But as discussed, this squad, whatever happens to the squad this summer, it's still going to be a really, really good squad to inherit. Um... And I think Xabi Alonso would find it. I mean, let's see if Barca come calling or let's see if Chelsea come calling or whoever, Bayern Munich, whatever. But um, there is a bit of heart to the guy. And I do find, I think, think if Liverpool came calling, I think he'd find it very difficult to turn, turn the job down. No, absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that. And I know there's a lot of noise around Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel at the moment, which therefore leads to the the prospect of Munich sniffing around Xabi Alonso as well. But I just think, as you mentioned, he seems like a good person, first and foremost. And to move away from Bayer Leverkusen is one thing, but to move away from Bayer Leverkusen to Bayern Munich feels a little bit, oh, I'm not sure about that. So it doesn't feel, and that just might be me talking myself into that as well, potentially. But just on him, more generally as a manager, obviously very young in his managerial career still. Um, he's done the social that beast stuff, obviously he's 18 months into a job at Bayer Leverkusen right now. But you mentioned it there, so there's loads of positive 
relative to him is his core principles, his philosophy, his forward thinking. It often seems very attack-minded. It is very possession-based, which Liverpool fans might have to become accustomed to ever so slightly. But in terms of negatives, do you see many in the way he's been going about his business? Because he's ticking boxes left, right and centre. There's that lack of experience. There's obviously a lack of a trophy cabinet right now, which could get fixed in the next few months. But there doesn't appear to be many from the outwards looking in. No, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, you can talk about, you know, formations and style of play and relative inexperience, but you know, he's not he's not crazily young. You know, he's older than he's older than Amarim, he's older than Nagelsmann from the list we've been talking about. Um he's been coaching, you know, when we when we made content with Xavi Alonso, that was in twenty early twenty nineteen. He was doing the Real Madrid fifteens or sixteens at the time. Um so it's not like he's it's not like he's completely wet behind the ears. And also the, the trajectory is quite nice. I mean, Madrid kids to Sociedad B to Leverkusen, it is a big step up to Liverpool, but it, it feels like a fairly consistent level of, of rise. Um and if you're not gonna if you know if you're not gonna take the job now, when? You know, one assumes that if he'll be at Madrid, he'll do Madrid at some point. I mean, I was delighted when Ancelotti signed the new contract yeah. earlier in the year because I think I thought that Madrid might be the most obvious next destination for them. Um, and it was just always that, you know, this is the elephant in the room, isn't it, about all of these guys, but they're not Jurgen Klopp. And, you know, I think I've got, I've got one of my closest friends I've been friends with for 30-odd years, and, you know, one of the things we joke about is that he has absolutely zero interest in sport or football, literally none, where, where it's all I care about. And he messaged me about five minutes after the clock news broke to say, are you okay? <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I I see, like, this is a guy who transcends football. And, and a, another mate of mine said, and this is, you know, this is no great kind of insight, but he said the beauty about Klopp is it, it's so rare that you get such a bond between not just club and manager, but club manager and city. Yeah. Um, and that's the alchemy between those three and what he's, brought and what he is and what he stands for politically as well let's be honest yeah. is something that's just going to be impossible to replicate yeah, 100% it is, yeah. And Liverpool have got a, a rich history of managers and we do tend to deify them, but for all the right reasons and many of them you've just mentioned there. Um, we're going to try and take emotion out of this next question. And I, I mentioned to you earlier on off air and I'll say it, I'll say it publicly now. I've ever so slightly started to come to terms with the fact that Jürgen Klopp won't be our football manager for much longer. And I am just starting to turn the corner in whether that be doomsday or whether I can see light at the end of that particular tunnel. And I think all the great qualities that Klopp's instilled, and obviously all the great transfer work he's done and the, the brilliant set of players we now own. I think if we can add a, a new manager, a new voice who's got all the right qualities and he could add that possession base, I just wonder whether there's a hybrid mix of that rough, rugged, underdog, win-at-all-cost mentality mixed with the fact that we're going to keep the ball and just pass you to death. That could be perfect, essentially. But on all that note... Who is the one out of the ones we've mentioned? Is it as simple as I think it might be? And I'll try and ask you two questions. Heart and head. Is it the same answer? Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's Xavi Alonso. It okay. is. It is. And I think because I am I am emotionally, I am ready for next season to be difficult and for it to be just not what it has been under Klopp. Mm -hmm. Um so in that regard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me who it is because it's going to be. I feel like it's going to be worse than it has been, but I feel like 
under Alonso, it's got more chance to be less bad, <laughs> which is kind of quite a negative way of looking at it. Um, but I feel like also emotionally, I feel like if I woke up and saw Xavi Alonso standing on the touchline, I'd feel slightly soothed. Yeah, um, it, um, it definitely softens the blow, doesn't it? I think I think we're all in that mindset pretty much immediately after because I mean it's so so rare that you know obviously the, the bombshell news and the heartbreaking news essentially Ian Klopp would leave and I spent my entire day that day I was up at Anfield bloody ten o'clock at night still speaking about it to BBC News, but the whole time you're having these conversations and it's guts and it's heartbreaking, but there was this again this sideways look at. Sabi Alonso would be a good fit, though, wouldn't he? And it's never, I never imagined that would be the case. Never imagined that would be the case. But yeah, he does feel very much like it would soften the blow, as I say. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Real, real, genuine appreciation for Tony joining us. And the coach's voice is incredible, as I'm sure you're all very well aware. They get actual, genuine, bona fide elite managers on all the time to speak to them. So, yeah, not too bad in terms of insight, is it? That's all for Redman Weekly this time. Make sure you check out redmenplus.com for all this content and much more. Take it easy. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.